first of all, it's, it's really important, I think, to note what Gallant, Defence Minister Gallant, spoke about today, which is that, you know, this can't really be seen anymore as just a war in the Gaza Strip mm-hmm. with a few kind of noises off taking place. You know, there is, what is taking place in the north would be seen as an episode of, of war by now, were it not for the fact that Gaza's taken place. More than 120 Hezbollah men have been killed, you know, a large number of, uh, of wounded also. Uh, the events taking place in the Red Sea, you know, the attacks exactly. on shipping. You know, the, now, of course, the events also taking place in Syria. Also, the ongoing attacks on U.S. positions in Iraq and in Syria. Mm-hmm. All of that adds up to a multi-front uh, contest or conflict taking place. I think it's important that we start seeing it in those terms. Where it's heading, well, in the last few days, we've seen two examples of direct Iranian involvement, one of which was the attack on a ship called the Chem Pluto heading towards India from Saudi Arabia over the weekend, hit by a drone, which appears to have come from Iran, not from Yemen. And secondly, of course, the killing of, of Razi uh, uh, Mousavi uh, just over the last 24 hours, apparently by or allegedly by Israel. These mean that Iran is now kind of being drawn more directly into the action. So what I would say is that we have a region-wide contest taking place, yes. But Iran doesn't want to get involved in this directly. They want to use all their proxies, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's clear that the Iranians, you know, have been trying their best to to avoid direct involvement wherever they can. And it may well be that the drone attack on the Chen Pluto was... uh, an exceptional occurrence. The question, in a certain sense, I would say, is whether the people being attacked by Iranian proxies want to allow Iran this kind of self-declared immunity where the Iranians get to make war on everybody else through proxies and nobody nobody ever kind of traces it back to the actual address where it's coming from. And it may well be that the uh, hit that's just taken place on this, by the way, very senior, you know, and and well-known revolutionary... Yeah, how how much uh, of an impact is that going to have... I mean, it's, it, look, it's very significant. This is a senior figure. He was somebody who was close to Major General Qasem Soleimani. Uh, we're told also an acquaintance of Hezbollah, Lebanese Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah. You know, this is uh, a significant uh, moment, I would say, definitely, in terms of, you know, holding the Iranians responsible. My sense, by the way, with regard to Israel and the Israeli government, is yes. there's something of a split here, because certainly from what I hear and have been hearing for a long time, uh, Defense Minister Gallant and the people around him uh, are very militant with right. regard to the Iranians and with regard to the North. And Prime Minister Netanyahu and perhaps also Benny Gantz uh, are a little bit more cautious in this regard. Well, let's look today uh, what uh, the Defence Minister Gallant had to say. He said that Israel retaliated in six out of seven fronts. Um, yeah. What's he alluding to? Some people saying, he's, uh, is this alluding to Iraq? Israel retaliating in Iraq, Yemen, maybe Iran? Can you uh, decipher that? My se- yeah, my sense, at least, of what he was referring to is that the one front that Israel has not retaliated is Iran itself. Mm-hmm. That was at least my uh, understanding of it. But yeah, it kind of does beg the question, because obviously among the six uh, is Iraq. And generally, it's seen that Israel, what we always at least have, understood, have been given to understand, is that Israel, you know, the United States is the party in, in the alliance, so to speak, that takes care of Iraq. Now, I'm not sure if Gallant was hinting at something there or if he was just not being entirely accurate in the figures, you know, making obviously a spoken uh, a spoken uh, statement. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I think the one that he was leaving out or saying has been left out is Iran itself. And what he was kind of hinting at was that, you know, 
this can be escalated further if needs be, given that Iran, certainly in his view, and I think accurately also, is conducting a kind of multi-front assault on its enemies, including Israel, and that can also be responded to directly. Well, let me ask you as an analyst, how much of this is up to Israel, this expansion of the war? Well, I, don't, I think it's up to Israel in the following sense. I think that the United States, almost since the very outbreak of this, has been very clear that it doesn't want Israel to uh, expand its response. In other words, you know, you remember that the United States sent the uh, uh, USS uh, Gerald Ford uh, carrier battle group to the Mediterranean in the first days of the war. And the sense with that was that the Americans were kind of saying two things to Israel. One is, we've got this. We can, we'll take care of the North. But secondly, we don't want you to expand this. And I think with regard to the newly formed naval coalition in the Red Sea Prosperity Guardian, they're calling it as well. There's a sense that the Americans are saying to us, oh, look, we can take care of this. We don't want you to respond. There's a certain point to which Israel might conclude, yeah, but your responses are not actually doing the job. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your limited escalation of the United States, USS Gerald Ford in the Mediterranean, the Dwight D. Eisenhower in the Gulf, the Naval Coalition and so on, are not actually getting the Iranians to switch this stuff off which means that we, at a certain point, might then have to take unilateral action. History indicates that Israel, when it feels it has no choice but to take unilateral action, does so, even when its closest allies, such as the most important of whom, of course, the United States, don't necessarily approve. So we might reach that point. Let's talk a little bit about Hezbollah. I mean, uh, the the deal uh, that people are talking about is to have the Hezbollah... uh push back in a certain buffer zone, maybe behind the Latani River, in exchange for not destroying the state of, of Lebanon. Um, yeah. how, how much do you think this is going to be effective? Is it going to work? I just find it really hard to believe that Hezbollah would agree to anything remotely resembling what would be acceptable to Israel. It seems to be even the Radwan force, you know, this... Uh, this uh, so-called kind of elite element among Hezbollah, mm-hmm. even withdrawing that would seem to me to be uh, much more than they'd be willing to countenance. And, of course, that would not be sufficient for Israel either. You know, Israel would say, well, no, people will only go back to Rosh Anikra or, you know, or Shkula or any of these mm-hmm. other border communities if they think Hezbollah is absent. Just saying, yeah, but actually it's a different unit to Hezbollah than the one you're most worried about isn't really going to convince anybody. But in any case, I think it's really it will be totally contrary to Hezbollah's very raison d'etre and to their whole narrative and to what they've been busy with for the last 17 years since the 2006 war, for them to countenance any kind of unilaterally agreed upon uh, withdrawal to north of the Litani. It will be an enormous reversal, an enormous surrender, and it will be seen as such. So I just think it's very, very hard, you know, notwithstanding the diplomatic skills of the undoubted diplomatic skills of Amos Hochstein, right. I just think it's very, very unlikely that we'll reach that point. We seem to be in or a march of the follies, Jonathan. We're heading towards clash and nobody wants. I mean, in a certain sense, at the same time, it is notable that even though there has been an escalation in the north, uh, that escalation has been somewhat controlled for most of recent weeks. Israel, of course, has withdrawn... Uh, 28 communities from the north, 86,000 Israelis have left their homes. Yeah, and what's happening is Hezbollah is kind of mainly limiting its fire to within that area, but it's not infinitely sustainable unless Israel is willing to countenance the notion that, you know, it has actually now created a kind of security zone 
term with which I know that you are most familiar, a kind of security zone on its own side of the border this time. Now, if Israel's willing to countenance a strategic retreat on that level, you know, back in 82, we and, and you specifically went all the way out to Beirut. Then in my generation of soldiers, we used to have a security zone north of the border. Are we now going to accept having a security zone south of our own border? Well, I think no I government think could so. survive that. I mean, it's an existential threat either. to Zionism. I don't think could either. That's right. That's right. But it means that then to stop that at a certain point, if you can't get Hezbollah, and I don't think you can, to agree peacefully to withdraw north of the Litani, then at a certain point you have to take action. And that may well be what lies ahead.